Welcome to the G2G Performance Podcast with myself, Rory, and my co-host, Aiden. Today's episode is number 59, and we've got a special guest for you, Mark Fulton, who is a powerlifter. Um, he has been competing the last five years in the sports. He's been a world champion in 2018 in the WDFPF 82.5 kilo category, and then also a deadlift, single lift deadlift world champion in 2017 and 18. In this episode, um, we discuss why Mark started powerlifting, his, uh, his, some of his best lifts or his favorite moments in competition, uh, how his current training is going, um, he is actually, as recording this, um, one day out from doing the Scottish Powerlifting Summer Open. Um, so you can check out how he got on in the uh, in the competition. We then talk about how his training maybe has changed over the years. Um, he used to play some hockey and we talk about how uh, hockey training translates to powerlifting. And then finally, we, we get into how to get people into powerlifting and what, what we can do as coaches. Um, and Mark started Hazley Barbell Club um, to try and grow the sport. And he's done a great job of getting more people into it. And it's only going to be of benefit to everyone if we get more people into powerlifting and grow the sport. So I um, hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get to it. Sorry, I'm gonna stop asking questions about this so I can get into like, <laughs> what are the what are the kids like whenever like they kind of come in to see if you're a guidance counselor or they're just like oh Mr. Fulton like deadlifts this and like our, well, you so have to have no variety. That's <laughs> being I mean, a lot of them. Guy. I mean, they, they all generally find out at some point, you know, and yeah, yeah. partly because I tell them to be honest. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but, We're gonna deadlift um, today, guys. Watch this. But, <laughs> Some of them I came in here for a chat about university. <laughs> they almost have to put it in a context that they understand. Um, you know, like they don't. If I said two hundred and fifty kilos, a lot of them don't even know relative what that is. So you have to yeah. maybe put it in a stone context, or yeah, got you. You know how many people are in the room, right? Well, those four people would add up yeah. to wow. two hundred and fifty yeah. kilo. Um, but and it comes back to one of the questions that you spoke about, but in terms of why do people do powerlifting, I just use that as an example of, well, you're here right now, um, you know, you've, you've failed an exam. Well, you know, at some point in my life, I failed a whatever, and I went back, I looked at it again, and I did X, Y, and Z, um, and I had, you know, that my goal was that. Um, to me, it's quite an easy analogy for for most yeah. aspects of life, really, in terms of um, setting a goal and, and then having those objective targets, if you like, not necessarily chasing them, but just knowing along the way, like, and when I'm teaching, you know, higher PE or advanced higher PE, I mean, I have, they have to talk about a training program and a training diary. I'll just bring out my training diary and go, look, there's seven <laughs> years ago, seven years ago, I could squat 150. Yeah. You know, there's what I can do now. Um, and there's the, the process that I've gone through. I've recorded it. You know, I've written it down. I can look back. You know, why do we do that? Well, we can look back and see our progress and it increases motivation and when we have a bad day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to me, it makes my life a lot easier if I'm being honest. Um, yeah. In that definitely. sense. But yeah, so, there's generally the first years like walked into that thing on Wednesday, so I've walked in. They were in in the Monday, uh, the Tuesday, and I've gone in on the Wednesday. And as soon as I walked in, one of the home link assistants was like, "So just before we start, Mister Fulton is a world champion powerlifter." <laughs> 
Okay, let me look at it. Yeah, and then you went. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Who wants to? Who wants to just <laughs> to grab a bicep? They kind of nod. You know, they, they've heard this, the statement and they nod and they go, "Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah." And it's not until about three weeks later they go, "So, what does that actually mean?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Three weeks is it, is it, what, is it, what is it you do? Why yeah. is it weightlifting now? Is it weightlifting? Yeah, no, yeah. it's powerlifting. <laughs> yeah, completely. So, um, I guess what what brought you into the sport? I guess initially would be something I think would be interesting to hear. Like, why why did you start? Yeah, why did you start powerlifting? Powerlifting was an accident. If I'm okay. being honest, I mean, I started. I mean, like any kid, I suppose when I was young, I just played sport and I ran about and I jumped about and. I, Climbed trees and mostly, mostly time kicked the ball. If I'm being honest, unfortunately, that was my introduction to sport. <laughs> um, I think at the time there wasn't really certainly the same level of awareness of other sports. Um, I don't know if it was just maybe, you know, in my local area, but it was football or, or nothing really. Um, you know, I used to go to summer summer camps and Easter camps and played for a few teams. Um, and then when I went to high school, I you know, got my eyes open to other sports, I suppose. And I remember in first year, I, I, I was quite good at athletics. And that was probably the first time that I, I did something and I realised, wait a minute, I'm actually, mm. I'm actually half decent at this. We, we, we did obviously stuff at primary school, we had the flat races and all that. And I was pretty fast. I was just a wee kind of small, ginger, wiry kid. So I was pretty sharp. Um, but I did the 1500 metres, which I'd never really thought about running that level of distance. Um, and we used to do... Um, we had a PE teacher at the time, Alan Meldrum, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, but um, he used to put on athletics events on a Saturday morning. Now, that is just unheard of. Um, he even used to take his flattery when we played hockey. We used to, so we had Castleheads, who are not the, not the most affluent area of Paisley, but we would go and play uh, Erskine Stewart's Melville mm-hmm. at, at hockey on a Saturday morning, which when I think about it, sending you know, 30 kids from Paisley with a hockey stick to a private school in Edinburgh was maybe not... Not the greatest uh, <laughs> idea, but you know, at the time, you, just, yeah. you just turned up with your uniform on a Saturday morning, you got on a bus and you got taken to, to, uh, to a nice, Brilliant. you know, fancy school and got to play hockey, if I'm being honest. Um, so it was great. Um, but when I, on one of those events on the Saturday morning, um, Castlehead had an athletics track on the Blaze Ash and it had a huge embankment on the hill. So there was loads of people on the hill uh, watching. And this guy was beating me by about, I think at one point, about half a lap. So it was seven and a half laps of the... 200 meter track and, and again gradually I, I started to catch him and again as I started to get closer people started to cheer obviously um, and I managed to beat him on the line and it was just that it was the first time in my life I remember thinking this is pretty cool I'm actually I'm actually quite good at this and this is this feels quite good if you know what I mean um, and then when I got any second year I said I played football and I suppose I went through the process that most most people that played football that ended up stopped playing it I just kind of fell out of love with it not so much the the sport itself, but the environment, you know, I, I mean, my, my son actually started playing last year and I remember having conversations and saying, not that I don't want him to play football, but I just, I can remember being 11 or 12 years old. We played a game and uh, again, another boys pitch in Guruk and it was absolutely chucking it down with hailstones. And, we, and I was a goalie and we got absolutely pumped. And I just remember this guy who'd been, I know his name, but I won't mention him, but he'd be 40 or 50, probably older now, but he was just standing in my face shouting at me, you know, mm. like, you need to be, you know, and, and there was fairly some fairly industrial language, which, you know, you can argue whether that's appropriate or not, but I just mm-hmm. remember thinking, this is not, this is not fun anymore. Yeah. Um, 
and that kind of coincided with one of the PE teachers, um, another one, Jim Jack at the time, he's still teaching actually, which is incredible. Because um, I thought he was about 45 when he was teaching me. Yeah. Um, he, he, he said to me, oh, look, you know, you know you're know, you a goalie. Um, you ever thought about trying hockey? Um, I was like, no, not really, but, you know, give it a bash. And I'd gone from, obviously, football, we know, not a lot of equipment, um, mm. and try to save a big ball and a big goal to giving you some equipment a wee tiny ball, fair enough, but a significantly smaller goal. Mm. Um, so I just sort of, there was a lot of kind of, it was an easy crossover, if you know what I mean. A lot of the kind of techniques are, are fairly similar. Yeah, there's some differences, but I basically put on a goalie, a hockey, and played as a football goalie, um, which at the time actually got me a lot of success initially because I would do things that people didn't expect um, in terms of, you know, like in football, obviously the 1v1s. One, one um, again, as I said, I was quite nippy, quite, quite good on my feet so when I did that at hockey people didn't expect it mm-hmm. um, obviously I had to kind of rein that in a bit um, and evolve that as I, as I sort of played but um, quite quickly I got picked for a, a district, I went for a district trial um, and I managed to get um, tapped up, snapped up I don't know what the right word is by Kelburn Hockey Club um, another another quite influential guy uh, in hockey was a, a man called Jerry Ralph who again unfortunately um, passed away maybe four four or five years ago now um, he just invested so much time and effort in, in, in local sport and local hockey um, and he just you know it was just again you know, this session's on on a Saturday um, do you want to come along um, went along and I'm still a member of the club if I'm being honest um, I'm still a president <laughs> so yeah. I'm not even a member <laughs> but um, I joined Kelburn when I was 14 by 15 I'd played for the first team at the time the, the team had come to the end of a kind of successful period and quite a lot of the older guys had retired, um, so there was a real, you know, real mix. There was two or three kind of senior players, but the rest were all 14, 15, maybe up to eighteen, I think. A couple of couple of twenty one years, but it was a really, really young team. Um, but what that allowed us to do was really grow as a team. Um, and again, that was that. You know, for those that know anything about hockey, that is Kelburn's ethos is to bring through, and it's the same as most hockey teams. Really, you've got to bring through your your youth players because there's not a lot of money. You can't go and invest and. Sure. Yeah. foreign players you can maybe get the odd one but the, the reality is that hockey's still an amateur sport and um, you know it's not like football where you can spend money and bring someone in it's going to make a big difference yeah um, you know through that period I was again I got selected for sort of district and national age group squads um, but then over the next sort of 10 10 to 15 years um, played in the first team and that was when Kelburn were the most successful hockey team in, in Scottish hockey history. Um, we won, or I was part of winning 10, 10 league titles in a row. Um, Kelburn yes. actually went on to win 13 in a row. We won multiple Scottish Cups, European medals. Um, we played in the, the Champions League of, of hockey. It's called the EHL. We, were, we, were, uh, we qualified for that on five or six occasions. We got to the last 16. We actually took the eventual winners that year to uh, Golden Goal. So we were 3-0 down with 10 minutes to go. We drew three each. Um, they unfortunately managed to score the winner. But um, again, just that, what that, I suppose, that introduced me to was that high performance, you know, yeah. kind of environment. I mean, some of the guys I played with, just phenomenal players, phenomenal characters that just, it was that kind of the, the will to win, I suppose, was the, was mm-hmm. the biggest thing. It was like setting, I suppose, standards that were, were acceptable or not acceptable and if you fell below that standard um, you know it's funny because I listen to quite a lot of podcasts and it's 
it's kind of maybe that generation of, of how things were done. Um, mm. And again, I suppose there's an argument for whether it was right or wrong, but mm. essentially you either got on board or you were, you're not, you're not part yeah. of it kind of thing. Um, and, I, and I know some people did find that challenging. Um, you know, quite quickly you were expected to meet a certain standard. Um, and don't get me wrong, you were encouraged to meet that standard, but if you weren't really putting in the work or putting in the effort, then that, that wasn't really tolerated. Um, but some, I mean, I've played with guys that have been in the Olympics. Um, in fact, Alan Forsyth um, is going to Tokyo. Um, I've known oh. him since he was about five years old. Um, coached him. I'll take that as a bit of credit. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah definitely. Yeah, and, you're, the, you're, um, you're the reason. Oh yeah, yeah, well, there's a few other stories, but we'll maybe keep them for after the Olympics. Yeah, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get a few things in the paper. Um, Can I ask you, just see with the part, just the, the bit you're mentioning about um, the, the standards there. I find, I find actually what you just said really interesting. Uh, similar experiences, actually, especially with, with football and things like that. And coming from Belfast, where it was football or, or nothing, yeah. mostly. Um and uh, that part where you had to hit a certain standard and whether that's, you know, argument whether that's right or wrong. Like, what are your thoughts on that one? My one would have been that to play at a certain level, like, you do have to have a, a cutoff point, which sometimes it can be sort of brutal, but otherwise it's very difficult to take people up who aren't at that standard and blend them with people who are at that standard. I don't think it helps either either or person. They kind of have to have a cutoff yeah, point. Yeah, I think that's where, there's, and again, it's that difference between team and individual, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, because in a team, you need everyone to be pulling in the same direction and and, and, and working towards the, the goal. But they have to, they have to, you know, the most successful teams in any sport are the ones that work the hardest. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. can have you can have all the talent in the world. Um, you know, and I had some. I suppose I must have had some talent, right? Mm-hmm. But I worked hard. You know, and and, I, and again, I can remember thinking back to that that time period we leading up to that um, game we played in, against the Germans who won the, the European Cup that year, we um, we did two months of running. Mm-hmm. No hockey. Mm-hmm. So as a goalkeeper, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that's not what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. But I turned up, and everyone turned up, and, I, and we were, that's why we managed to do what we did in terms of coming back in the last 10 minutes, because, but everyone bought into that. Yeah. Um, mm. And I, th- I do think in a team environment, and again, I've watched... Um, Michael Jordan's documentary. He mm. talks about it a fair bit. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a phenomenal, uh, again, a phenomenal example of, of elite level sport. Now, again, it's, if you want to be the best, mm-hmm. and I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan by any stretch, but um, you have to, you have to set a standard and you have to meet that standard. And if, again, if, I suppose, I think my, my view has probably evolved, but I still would argue at the top level. You know the the one percent level, the elite level of of sport, whether it's professional or amateur, um, it's cut through. It's cut through. Um, yeah, yeah. And you have to, yeah, meet, meet, you know, set your set your standards. And and if, if unfortunately, if if people fall below that, yeah, don't get me wrong, you, you give them the opportunity to. It's not a kind of one strike and you're out. Um, but yeah. you know, this is the way we do things here. Um, you yeah, want to be yeah. part of that. And this is how we do it. And and again, like I say, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we were we trained hard, but we we had a good time off the pitch as well, but we celebrated at the right times, normally after we won a trophy. Um and you know, again, it's a different podcast, but you can go to give you lots of different stories and lots of different events that went on. <laughs> yeah, um yeah. and it's probably part of the reason I don't drink alcohol anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. um but again, like when I so that would be 
that was I mean I finished playing when I was 33 so probably about halfway through that so I was 28 29 I think um, and I'd been told at the age of 20 21 that I'd never play for Scotland really I was I mean you know I'd be a good club goalie but mm-hmm. you know I'd never I didn't really have the uh, have what it took to play international hockey um, and I'd, I'd had a couple of kind of forays and I'd had a couple of games um, I think in a Celtic Cup maybe in 2000 and back now, 2007-2008 and then another couple of games a few years later um, but 2011 I, uh, I got picked I got picked for the squad um, initially probably as uh, a squad player. Um, there was, you know, within the kind of wider squad, there's probably four goalies initially, um, and then it gets cut as you go through various, much like you know other other sports. Um, and I made the final cut for first of all, it was the Champions Trophy in France, um, and fortunately or unfortunately, um, the guy who was meant to be the number one at the time, he he got injured, um, so. I, I, I went to that tournament as, as kind of first choice. Um, played, we played seven games. I played six, I think. We got a bronze medal. Um, I then got picked. He managed. To, he came back. Um, maybe or he was fit to go to the Europeans at the end of that summer. Um, we kind of shared shared responsibilities at that point. Um, but again, we got a bronze medal at the European B division. Um, we probably should have, you know, in hindsight, with the, the ability we had in the team, we probably should have done better. Um, but at that point, I was getting that gave me an opportunity because I was part of the national setup to be involved with Institute of Sport. So again, I met a lot of you know great people that just um, opened my eyes to you know having done a sports science degree originally and and, and kind of parked it, I suppose would be the right phrase. Um, it was just great to be back in that environment, and I, I can remember. And those guys are still actually have laterally started helping me with some of the powerlifting stuff. Um, you know, we'd go to the Palace of Arts and train, and then I'd sit for about half an hour after it, just chatting to them about, right, why, why, why are we doing that? What's, what's next? You know, and I was more, I think they, at first they were a bit like, all right, but I was just, in, I was just really interested in how they, you know, that how they planned the programs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that sort of idea of okay, powerlifting generally is a is a twelve week, fourteen week, sixteen week program, whereas a hockey program, um, you've got that kind of hybrid nature of the off pitch and on pitch, um. Yeah. balancing the, the kind of training load over the course of a of a, a block with the intensity that's required on the pitch and how you monitored that and how you managed it. And one of the guys, uh, Andy White, he at the time, he actually did a study. His, I think it was his PhD study, I'm sure now, on um, it was he was using the GPS trackers, which at the time were probably pretty pretty new to hockey. Um, yeah. Um, and he was measuring repeated sprints for, and comparing hockey players to football players. And, and again, I remember talking to him for about an hour, just sitting down, hmm. just dissecting what his study was doing. And it, and it really interested me. That was the thing. Um, mm-hmm. But powerlifting, to get to get to the actual question, really, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I stopped playing in about, I think it was 2013. It was the year before the Commie Games. Um, my son Max had been born. Um, and, you know, I... Sh- Probably should have made the decision earlier myself, um, but yeah, I needed to just step away because of the time commitment. Really, that was the biggest issue. Mm. Um, and then I just I was just going to the gym, and I really at the time my only aim was to. I actually spoke when I thought about this when you you sent the question. I actually wanted to prove a point, but more to myself that you could be in your thirties, mm. work a job, you could have children, and you could be in reasonable shape. That was really my first sort of. Mm-hmm. you know idea 
Um, but there was no no grand plan to, you know, I'm going to just switch the powerlifting and I'm going to be successful. Um, and I've been doing, you know, I suppose you would call it a, a power building program, I suppose would be the term people put, put on it. Now, I was doing squat bench and deadlifting and doing some accessories, I would call it, but, you know, people like to put terms on things. Yeah, yeah, um, it. <laughs> yeah give, it, give it a name. You know, it's just, it's just going to the gym, isn't it? Um, and a couple of folk, um, the gym I trained at at the time um, was Pro Life Fitness Centre, and they probably were more, they're more a bodybuilding um, kind of style of gym. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there'd been a few comments, oh, I fancy, fancy going on this stage. And I'm like, look, no chance. I'm not, <laughs> this. I'm not up for that. Um, and then somebody had said something about powerlifting, and I kind of, it was in the back of my mind. Um, and I don't know, I don't actually know how. I initially saw the competition, but the competition was due to, it was a 2016 push-pull event. Um, and it was due to be at a gym called XFit, which is literally five minutes from my house in Paisley. Um, so I thought, right, I could, could, I could just sign up. For, I mean, what is it, bench and deadlift? I'm not bad at them. Mm. Um, right, if I don't, I don't necessarily need to tell anybody <laughs> I'm going to do this. Um, I could just turn up. If I'm rubbish, I'm not telling anybody. If I'm all right, I'm going to tell some folk. Yeah. Um, and then the week before, actually, for whatever reason, you know, there is a reason, again, the <laughs> best kept in that a secret. Um, but it got moved. It was it was moved from XFIT to Physique and Power yeah. uh, in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So again, at the time, and again, this, we'll come on to this when you maybe chat about why I created the club, but I'd already paid my affiliation fee. I'd paid my membership. I'd bought a singlet. Mm-hmm. I bought a belt. You know, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to go for it now, aren't I? You know, I'm not spending that money and then not not going for it. So I drove up there and I remember looking for this big fancy, you know, shiny gym that I was looking for and then I found Physique and Power, which was a shutter door. <laughs> um, but a fantastic, fantastic place to, to to be, I suppose. And I remember opening, you've both been there, haven't you? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember opening that wee door and uh, just that sort of quiet of like, right, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know this guy. Yeah, the, the, the person up. in the corner playing the piano stops yeah, playing, stares yeah. at you. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, was, I was lucky that there was two guys actually, and we'd only found out the week before, two guys um, from Pro Life that were also competing. Mm. Um, and it was a cl- classic case of, you know, I was deadlifting in the corner and they were, I think they were deadlifting at the other end of the gym. And we both kind of looked over at each other. And I don't remember who made the first move, but one of us basically went, yeah. You're doing a powerlifting uh, competition at the weekend. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll yeah. see you there. So that was kind of quite good, and um, you know, at least I had somebody to talk to. But you know, very, very quickly, um, you know, once you once you start warming up, once you once you get on that platform, I, mean, I suppose it helps if you make your lifts. <laughs> people go, oh, this guy's all right. Um, but you know, just a just a really, and I know it's a cliche, but just a such a welcoming environment. Um, you know, mm. and I met Willie Brown that day, obviously, who's been a big Probably a big, I mean, big influence on on you know Scottish powerlifting um, and mm-hmm. on the whole, um, but just on me me personally in terms of you know initially certainly providing direction in terms of competitions and um, I was actually going to join um, Physique and Power before I started Paisley Barbell because I wanted to train in that environment um, and the other one I met that day and you'll know this person is Joe Coogan, mm-hmm. um, you know just this guy that it didn't matter and it's still to this day even at, you know because he does train with us now that it doesn't matter what the person's lifting it doesn't matter what lift they're doing he is screaming at them the same thing you know it's the same, <laughs> it's same thing, if you yeah. watch some of the videos it's the same thing he says but 
you know, he is synonymous for for the amount of encouragement that he gives yeah, to yeah, yeah. he gives to people. Um, and then, so I did. I think I won that. I won that. I won my category in that event, and then it just went from there. You know, I did the. Nice. I think I did the Scottish Championships in August. I did an event in December, mm. um, and I was quite keen to see how far I could go reasonably quickly I thought um you know I didn't I, I didn't say away a plan that I was still going to be doing this in five or ten years or that I was going to start a club it was just right okay I mean that's my number there okay let's have a wee bit of, can I get so somebody said oh you know your deadlift would qualify you for the British single lifts all right that sounds good um so I went to that in the February um and I finished second and then somebody's like well that you know that's qualified you for the world single lifts I was like yeah that sounds good Where's that Belgium well, well, yeah, chat about that one with my wife. Um, but but I went and I I won that event. Um, I then did a few more full powers. Uh, went back in um, the following year was Malta. Uh, won that as well. Um, and then I got was that Glasgow? Yeah, sorry. So I then got uh, not got selected because I missed the British. Because I was on holiday, I had to put in a kind of dispensation to to be able to take part in the Worlds that year because it was in Glasgow. So I thought I'd chance my arm, if I'm being honest. I never actually qualified. I don't know if many people know this, but I never actually qualified for Worlds that year. Um, but because I was, I'd won the World Deadlift event, I said, look, I'll, I'll send an email. And I knew um, mm-hmm. the top three at the British that year was Dean, Dean Robertson was second. And I think Dean McVie was third or fourth. Um, mm. So they were the two other Scottish guys that could have went to that event. And, they, and I spoke to both of them and I knew they weren't going. Uh, Dean Robertson, I knew he wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I went to Glasgow 2018. Um, it was actually myself and Dean McVie that were, were the top two. Um, again, mm. that we could go on a whole podcast about my my rivalry with Dean McVie, or if you like to call it that, it's a uh, family rivalry. But um, I mean, think, he did is a, that why he, do you think he got out of part of them, went more to strong man, more to, he was what, afraid of the rivalry. It, I think he was just uh, like, I, I want no part of this man. Moved to the dark side because he knew he couldn't beat me. You know? uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but he, he did a, I mean, he did a strong man event the day before in Dublin or something. So, <laughs> you know, I'm in the back of my head, I'm going, right. He's gonna be pretty beat up here, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna, you know, I know we we know Dean pretty pretty well. He's uh, he's an all in kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So I just thought to myself, right, just be sensible here, Mark. You know, you've got a plan. If you and at the time, you know, his deadlift, you know, his deadlift has, has significantly improved over the last uh, couple of years. And um, by the time I knew I could out deadlift him, mm-hmm. so I just went in with right, keep him keep him in range. You know, ideally. You know, don't let him get any more than ten kilos on your squat. Maybe ten kilos on your bench, and you you can still outlift him in the deadlift. Um, yeah. And I think he knew this because he he pushed the squat in the deadlift on the day, and, and unfortunately for him, or fortunately for me, he missed his third attempts. Um, so it meant we were level going into the deadlift. Um, and yeah, we both knew that my opener like, was get in. My opener <laughs> was 20, 25 kilos, I think, heavier. So uh, yeah, at that point, but you still got you know end of the day, you still got to lift it. Sure. Um, but the, the really pleasing one about the Glasgow one was was it's the first uh, and actually only time that I think about it that, that my children and my wife were, were able to watch. Um, oh, nice. They only watched one lift. You know, it was the last deadlift, and um, you can't really see it. Uh, obviously, there's a video of it somewhere, but you can't really see it. But my back was tightening up pretty badly as I was lifting that uh, deadlift, right. and um, I just remember thinking, I kind of put this down. 
I can't, you know, this is probably the one and only lift that might see me lift in my life. I can't, <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't put this down. Um, yeah, so that's probably cool. It's probably a lack and a significant thing that I did. You know, it's yeah. a few years ago now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously, COVID's impacted competitions and stuff uh, recently. But I think you've already done a competition. Is that right this year? Yeah, yeah. Already? So the um, PDFPA Scottish, um, they managed to run the first post-COVID competition. Um, I'll get that out there as a shout out for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we also moved, the club moved to a new facility in Paisley called Anvil Strength Gym. Um, and we agreed to host that competition as well. Um, so one of the things that I've found challenging since creating the club is competing and helping at the same time, I must admit. And it's part of the reason mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm doing the competition um, tomorrow. Um, you know, like I go to the, two years ago, went to the British and we had six females on the Saturday and three, I was one of the three males on the Sunday. So I was there all day Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not physically not um, probably doing that much. Okay, I was maybe loading, loading the warm-ups and stuff, but um, on reflection, probably mentally and emotionally, it, it took, took some out of me um, I'm not I didn't I wouldn't say that influenced my performance to an extent that it would have um, cost me places whatever at that event there was three three significantly stronger people on the day um, but certainly when we went to Worlds um, in Germany the event um, was just strange sometimes with the kind of WDFPF I mean Scottish powerlifting and IPF obviously have a very strict tour way in um, you know he likes us so you know, tomorrow I'm weighing in at half 12 and I'm competing, or lifting at half two. Um, the one in, in Germany, we weighed in at 7.15 in the morning and everybody weighed in that was competing that day at 7.15 in the morning and I didn't start my first lift till six o'clock at night. Um, now, I wasn't there the whole day. Um, I'd gone, gone back to the hotel for a wee bit of rest and I'd come back and we had, again, we had five females lifting that day Um but I think even in the lead up to that competition, I decided that I needed to do something different. Mm. That um, you know, I needed to separate it, and as much as possible, for me to support the people the way I want to support them, mm. I need to let them compete, and I need to compete myself separately. Not in a, I suppose it is kind of selfish, but it, to me, it's it's the right way because mm-hmm. um, I can't give the energy to both that that I feel mm-hmm. um, I, I should, and I, I certainly feel on the in that competition the total I put up was not a reflection of, of my ability. Um, mm. So then coming back to this year, I'd made a conscious choice that I was probably going to do um, Scottish powerlifting and partly because I'm a master, become a master's lifter as well. Um, more to give myself a bit more of a challenge, I suppose is the right, the right phrase. Um, but the fact that we were hosting that competition in a gym we'd just moved to, um, it was the first competition and just with the timing of it, I felt I could use it as a sort of, you know, I could train through it almost, um, was it was a sort of plan, but I still had some fairly, fairly decent numbers and uh, I took three Scottish records. So I can't really, I can't really argue with, uh, with that, but kind of, yeah, my main focus has probably been on, on, on tomorrow's competition um, yeah. in terms of what, what sort of targets I'd like to hit, what sort of numbers and, you know, where that'll, help me move to in the future hopefully nice man yeah I mean looks like you got I'm just on open power I think it looks like you got pretty much close to your PB total on the last one so yeah. you're in a yeah. good spot yeah to... I think you know 
I'm obviously getting a wear a pair of knee sleeves tomorrow as well, so that might add a few kilos to my total. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely, man. But yeah, I'd like to just think... Just to keep your knees warm. Yeah. The thing is, right, and this, this is probably another <laughs> podcast conversation, but I don't know how people can wear smaller knee sleeves. I right. wear a pair of mediums, and I've tried a, a small, never made a pair of extra small, and I can't get them on. I just can't. It cuts off the circulation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you know, Falling can onto the platform 15, 15 completely. Minutes. 15 minutes is, is my, my limit. I mean, I, I just can't. I don't, you know, and I'm talking to folk and they're like, oh, no, I wear two sizes. I wear two sizes then. I'm like, how? how? Yeah, madness. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I say, the big thing for me, um, thinking about why I want to do it tomorrow is, is first, it's to, I suppose it's to prove a point to myself more than anything that, you know, that I can put up a total that is, and I, and I suppose the other good thing about tomorrow's event is it is a kind of, Casual is not the right word, but there's no, there's no placings, there's no, you know, there's no um, competition element to it other than, you know, they're running it as a sort of test event for COVID, and there's no best lifter, there's no, mm. okay, you maybe still want to try and lift the most in your category just for you know personal kudos, I suppose. But for me, it's just about um, doing my first competition with Scottish powerlifting and making sure that my lifts are, are up to that standard. Mm. Um, and and putting up a total that I think is is really reflective of what I've done up until this point and what the work I've done sort of yeah. through the lockdown period um, that will hopefully you know put me in positions to to compete at British level and, and ideally international level. So obviously the next question is what what are you hoping to hoping to hit tomorrow? Hoping ideal. To hit, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't want to be one of the. I'm not gonna. It doesn't matter if people find out. Um, I think well. I reckon this will be I, like we'll release this after the fact anyway, Mark. So you'll just be like, reckon, yeah. um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping to hit roughly two twenty five on the squat. Nice. I did, um, I did two twenty two weeks ago, reasonably smooth, which will be around about my second attempt, maybe two seventeen. Um, I hit two twenty seven. I, I mean, I did lose tightness at the bottom, but I still, I still got it up. Um, and I reckon I could maybe have, if I hadn't lost tightness, two thirty might have been there. Um, mm. But I'd mm. rather. In this competition, I'd rather hit three good squats to depth. Um, again, you know, the I've never squatted in Scottish powerlifting. I've heard that the IPF and Scottish powerlifting is a wee bit harsher in terms of depth. I don't know that. That, that might just be, you know, people's perception. Um, but, yeah, I want to do three good squats. Heavy yes. squats, obviously, but get them to the right standard. Bench, bench has been a wee bit kind of niggly recently, so probably I'll, I'll play that quite safe, maybe somewhere in the 140s. Um, and deadlift, I'd like to get 270-something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got 265 at the last comp. Mm-hmm. PB is 272. I got 270 in training a couple of uh, 10 years yeah. ago, roughly. That looks strong, man. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been moving well. Um, I mean, the thing is, obviously, on the day, fatigue, um, you know, making weight. Um, yeah, see how, see, how, see how it goes. But I'm just looking forward to getting another, another competition under, under my belt. Um, that's a bit of a cliche, but again, yeah. as I say, I've never been in that federation before. Getting to meet yeah. new people, you know, I know them through very, you know, social media, whatever, or the odd email. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just getting into that environment again, be good. And, and I like I like competing at Elysium. Um, yeah. A lot of time for Dean, Dean Robertson. Um, good to chat to him again. Um, and I've competed there before, which I suppose helps. I know the kind of environment. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's um, that's that that's like some. A jump in, in numbers like um an impressive jump so like what i have here is a pb 
is two fifteen squat, and that's the Germany competition. Is yeah. that in competition? Is that right? Is that the, yeah. the your PB? Yeah. You're going. You're going up to two twenty five. Oh man, nice. I reckon. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think. I mean, I've done done two twenty multiple times. Um, I've done two twenty five. Done it for a double actually. Um, nice. And I've done two twenty seven. So. Yeah, squat, squat's probably the one um, that's really made the most progress. And that, again, it's I switched probably two two years ago now. Um, I switched from, from high bar to low bar. Um, I also started working with a coach um, for the first time, um, Craig at, nice. at Team Anvil. Um, and that was really the main reason was I'd done three or four competitions in a row where I squatted 200 kilo. Mm. And I'd trained, you know, um, you know, you'd, What's that? Three or four competitions, probably nearly a year. Where I've been like, right, come on, man, this is not. I'm not doing something right here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he he had, at the time he had a few of his clients were part of the, the barbell club, and I just said, look, would you mind? You know, I've, I've tried. I did try to do it the year before, but I was getting so much elbow pain that I just didn't. I couldn't bench some of the time. Um, I didn't. I didn't think it was a, a good trade off. Um, but I, I think really now is probably where I. You know, it's taken that length of time to find, first of all, the, the position that I need to get the bar in that doesn't give me um, so much elbow issues, mm. but also even the, 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 the programming. You know, when I first started working with Craig, um, and I, I, he wanted me sharing this, but he was killing me, killing me with the volume. You know, six mm. sets of six um, mm. was was pretty taxing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Multiple <laughs> and multiple, uh, you know, one of the days was a six sets of six SPD day. And looking back, I remember thinking, Oh my god, like that was, but um, <laughs> through I suppose through a process of, of, of um, discussion, discussion <laughs> is probably the right word, <clears throat> we've kind of evolved, evolved the, the programming that you know I can, can still hit these kind of numbers. Um, and I, I suppose the big thing for me, um, and the big difference. That I've noticed over the years is, is just prioritizing recovery. Like I have mm. to, um, you know, making sure that I've got enough time between a, a squat day and a, and a deadlift day. Mm. Um, you know, I really, I struggle to do both on the same day. Um, mm. In terms of volume, you know, get don't get me wrong, closer to a competition, um, if it's singles or doubles or maybe triples, um, you know, it, it's fine. Um, but just in terms of recovering from the the exertion, I suppose, and I suppose that's partly because for me, eighty to ninety percent is a significant amount of weight. Um, yeah, yeah. So if I'm lifting that for, you know, let's say eighty percent from be fives or sixes, yeah. um, that's still a, that's over two hundred kilos on a deadlift, or you know, one one eighty, maybe one ninety on a squat. So to do both of them on the same day would be, and for me personally, I'm not saying this is you know generic, but for me personally, that's that's too much. Yeah. Um, so there was certainly you know battles and forwards, and I suppose that comes down to coach coach athlete relationship and and being open and, and transparent and honest and and reflecting on what what training what training works. Um, yeah. and that, that's definitely what we found over the process of that time as we've tried different things. Nice. Um, you know, even this last block, we'd never really done a you know working up to a top set and then back offs. Mm. Um, but we tried it and it's it's been really successful. Um, yeah. You know that I'd certainly. I would say this is probably in terms of preparedness uh, physically. This is the best I've been prepared for a comp. Um, I don't have any any niggles that I'm 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 thinking about. Nice. Um, 
it's not make weight, but I'll be fine, hopefully. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm actually quite looking forward to tomorrow in the sense that I feel, I feel ready. Um, and again, I don't feel there's any pressure. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that other comps have been pressure, probably self. Self pressure. Self pressure, just because I want to do well, and I suppose the thing has always been, and again, I suppose it comes with putting it on yourself, but. I, whether I like it or not, I am the figurehead of the Barbell Powerlifting Club. So people in that club <laughs> do, do do look to me um, yeah. as as a you know as a role model, as you know, like I am the one that sort of set the trend for people to compete in powerlifting. So I've got to, it goes back mm-hmm. to that, I suppose it goes back to that conversation about standards. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've set a standard for myself, um and I and I want to maintain that primarily for myself, um, not necessarily for, for external validation, I suppose. Um, but I don't feel I've, I don't feel I've reached my peak yet. So that's the other, the other thing, you know, I think, um, there was a quote I read, um, by a powerlifter from Canada called Bryce Krychik. Mm-hmm. And he said that powerlifting is a passion for the never ending pursuit of progress, which I really like because Definitely. Yeah, that's you are point. literally knocking your pan in to add two and a half kilos to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to a lift, you know, and it's but like, it's a meaningful two and a half when you get it, oh, isn't it's, it? It's all yeah, worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, um, <laughs> and the other one, I don't I can't I don't know who said this one, but you'll never know when you've hit your last PB. Mm. So you probably you may have already hit it, for mm. all you know. Um so make sure, sure. you you enjoy every every one. Yeah. What um what what age are you at the minute? Yeah, 40, 40, just done 40, so. And then something, you know, kind of jumping ahead a wee bit, but what we'd, a um, couple of interesting things you said, just like what's the the differences you've noticed through that? Like obviously something like six times six, especially if that's a squat bench deadlift day, sounds like something when you're in your 20s, you could probably just stick your head down and rattle your way through mm. without like maybe thinking too much about it. Um, and then, you know, you, that aspect of as you get older you have to train smarter let's just say you, you know there's there's more demands in your life there's much more things going on especially mm, from yeah, what it's yeah, in your life no i mean um it's funny i was out i was out a walk last night and i was chatting to one of my neighbors about a few things and he'd, he'd asked the thing about how many times you train or do you train mm. like six seven times a week and i'm like no i train four to me that gives me the balance uh, one with with life and and two with more importantly with recovery um mm. But yeah, I think that's definitely the biggest thing I've noticed is like even thinking back to when we when we, when I played hockey, you know, I'd be doing two sessions a day. Mm. Um, I'd be training in the morning in the gym, we'd be going to going to work, um, teaching for a full day, and then we'd be on the pitch in some capacity at night, whether it was a running session or a, a pitch session, which you know could end up being two, two and a half hours in a in a goalie kit, which is fairly taxing. Um Mm-hmm. Probably from an anaerobic point of view, because a lot of the work would be kind of thirty seconds or less. But um, yeah, I remember when they started doing those SPD days. I mean, I, I just used to do them on a Saturday morning as well, um, and I'd be I'd take caffeine with me. I'd have pancakes. I'd have you know, I'd have so many things <laughs> with me to try and keep me going. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I suppose just thinking more about things. And the other thing that I've probably thought more about is. Um, Kind of thinking about things, and I've not that I've never thought about a bigger scale in terms of training, but the other things. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, having a poor sleep on a Monday, the knock-on effect to that for the rest of the week, and the knock-on effect for training. Um, yeah. You know, food-wise, hydration. I know it's all 
these they're all things that we should consider. Um, but it, it's always the things that get left left out. We always think about the training. Um, and in fact, it's probably the other things that are going to make the difference. Um, you know, the, the 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 programming for powerlifting. I mean, yeah, you can you can argue there's a variety of different ways to do it, but ultimately, it's the same thing. You try to get from point A to point B and get stronger. Um, yeah, there's subtle variations. Um, but you're going to squat a certain amount of times a week. You're going to deadlift. You're going to bench, and you're going to do some accessories to support those movements. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the the other things in terms of the nutrition and maximizing your weight category, um, which is still an area I feel I could improve. Um, but you know, making sure I've I've eaten at the right time for training. You know, and these are all things that. I suppose as somebody of my age and as somebody that was involved in sport for a long time, I should know. Um, but you you almost, you know, when when you, like you say, if your other priorities, not say get in the way, but they, they, they come before it. Um, you know, I've got two boys, one's nine, one's six. They're now very active in terms of clubs and activities. Um, I just need to balance the, the time um, to make sure that, yeah, I can do all the things, which is it's challenging at times. But you know, my wife is very, very, very supportive of, nice. of what I do. Um, mm. I think sometimes she thinks I'm a bit crazy, but um, sure, that's why really she likes it. Just, <laughs> it's really hard to just sit sit down and and not not necessarily I can't relax, but my brain works at about two hundred mile an hour. Um, sure, you know, in terms of likes of stuff for the club and stuff i'm like what was okay what's next what's next right let's try and let's what about this project what about this project um, mm-hmm. okay we've not done that yet right let's try that um so so yeah yeah but i definitely think recovery has been the biggest you know and even silly things like a, I, I go for a bath on a wednesday and a friday mm-hmm. and I, I do and that's my i suppose non-negotiable if you like to call it that you know i have certain things that i have to do um, you know, some people would argue that's obsessive or whatever, but to me, that helps me yeah. get to the point that I want to get to. Um, Good to think. Yeah, yeah. The the part like this, I find this very interesting, and it's it's on the kind of list of questions that we have anyway. But <clears throat> so now that if you're 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 still hitting numbers that are better than you've done in the past, right? Which you're now touching forty, which a lot more demands in your life. Recovery demands are different. Um, like in terms of all the stuff that you have to add on, let's say you, you realize that recovery becomes such a big thing, um, hydration becomes such a big thing. Like, do you think that's a case of it's just maybe not emphasized as much in earlier parts of training, maybe even in your hockey, because you're still making progress regardless, so it doesn't come to the forefront as much versus later on when you begin to look where you can get areas of improvement because it's not quite fast or quite so apparent. You got to eat more things. Does that play into it at all? Or yeah, no, I think you're probably. I, th- I mean, and don't get me wrong. When when we were involved in hockey, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of support. You know, there mm-hmm. was a lot of um, we we did, we got nutritional advice and we got psychology advice, but I think it's just that kind of young mm-hmm. young person's mentality. Well, we're, we're winning. What's the yeah yeah exactly? But yeah, I definitely think, and it's. To me, it's a balancing act as well because and it's like a lot of aspects, I suppose. If, if things are going well, you don't necessarily look at, you know, mm-hmm. how, how can we make it better? Because you can always you can always be better. Yeah. You, can, you know, you're, you're never, I don't think you'll ever know when you've reached your top top mm-hmm. top level. And even, you know, at, at the very, very top of, say, professional sport, 
there's still things they can do differently, still things they can mm-hmm. do better. Um, still one percenters, if you like to call it that, that they can mm-hmm. they can improve. Um, I suppose where I did get a lot of it from as well was that I like to read books. Um, mm. I just like to read about, um, you know, there's a thing done, I read an article yesterday about Gareth Southgate and how one of the <laughs> things that he's done for for English football is he's, he's created this group of people um, that are not football related. Right. Um, he's got like 36 or something people in an advisory group um, from various different walks of life and um, sports. So I think David Brailsford's on it. I'm sure Clive Woodward and a few other people like that are on it. Nice. Um, and there was kind of a lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of resistance to it from, mm. from initially from the football family, if you like to call them that. Um, Cause they were like, well, these guys are not football guys, but I, I think there's so much to learn. Um, if you yeah. can look at um, how, I mean, the, the one that I, and again, you can argue rightly or wrongly how they did it, but Team Sky and Cycling, you know, how they did things is just, you know, for them to say when they did that a British guy was going to win the Tour de France, mm-hmm. you know, that's like St. Martin winning the European Cup. It's just, it's just not going to, it shouldn't have happened, you know, but, mm-hmm. but they were prepared to, to look at every single aspect of that mm-hmm. sport. Um, mm-hmm. Not just, and, and I suppose the key differences that I found when I read the, uh, that book, and there's a few other ones, but it's the stuff away from the training that made the difference. It wasn't the training. Yeah. You know, yes, I'm sure they were pushing um, pushing high intensities when they were cycling, but the reason they were able to push high intensities out with mm-hmm. maybe some of the more controversial aspects was the fact that, you know, the one that really struck me, and it's obviously <laughs> ironic given the current situation, but Whenever somebody joined Team Sky, the first thing they told, showed them how to do was wash their hands. Aye. Because that meant that if they washed their hands properly, they got less germs, less chance of getting ill. Therefore, nobody nobody was going to be compromised in terms of their training. Wow. Um, so it's like, like stuff like that. You think, why why, why are they why are they the only one thinking that? You know? Yeah. Like this, the, the kind of almost coming back to the part you're saying about standards when it came to hockey, you know, that some people may see this as being uh, a wee bit too, now you're saying overall cutthroat when it comes to elite sport, but within hockey, like you ask for a certain standard when it comes to high level of, of um, or competing at a high level. And I do think it's, it seems to be um, the demand that's placed. So if, if you're competing at a really high level, then you are going to have to look at so many areas that you can eke progress out of um or you you notice over time is demands in your life change you almost look like a similar aspect of like okay so i've now got kids i've now got more going mm-hmm. on it's not just a case of just turn up and train and i gotta look for other areas to eke progress out of or to help me with my progress and a lot of the times it seems with people to come from recovery i just wonder that when it gets to really high level sport that's almost all in like that from the start if you want to compete at this level mm-hmm. you got to be on board with all of that because we're looking for you to kind of gain or get progress out of everywhere yeah um you get those kind of demands it seems to be i think the other thing probably is is perspective mm. like being able to see the kind of longer longer term view um mm-hmm. you know like as i say when i when i decided to get a coach i knew that it wasn't going to be an instant instant success yeah. um and you know at that point i kind of thought right i'm coming up for 40 i'll be a master's lifter you know i've looked at some of the numbers that are that are there for kind of european and world level at, at different and different federations you know, a bit of work I could I could get there, mm-hmm. um, but I knew it was going to take 
you know, so that was, say that was two years ago, so I was 38. So that I had that sort of view of a two-year, you know, plan, if you like. Um, and I suppose if you think of kind of high level, whether it's, um, you know, Olymp- obviously being the Olympics, that's probably the easiest example. They're looking at a kind of four-year mm-hmm. four year cycle. So if you can have that that vision, um, and I suppose the bigger issue for most people now is that in society, has, has created this as a kind of instant gratification yeah. um, sort of module. I mean, even when you've got guys, com, you know, competing for the first time, they're, they're, and it's not a bad thing, but they're asking me about Scottish records and yeah. how do I get, how do I qualify for this? Now that's great in terms of, you know, from a certain perspective in terms of the hunger and the desire to, to get to the next level, but it's also a wee bit, well, let's just, you know, it's your first competition. And my, my advice was, right, well, get nine good lifts. Yeah, that's 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 your your sole aim in this competition is getting nine good lifts. And if you do actually do your nine good lifts, then you'll get the goals that you yeah. you want to get. But you can. It's like try to explain to them about attempt selection as well. Like, oh, I want to hit. Let's say, for argument's sake, tomorrow I want to hit a two twenty five squat. So, two, say it's two o five, two fifteen, two twenty five. Mm-hmm. But I can't get to two twenty five if I don't get to two o five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that sort of understanding that process of you have to do x y and z to get to where you want to go as opposed to trying to jump from uh, one point to the other too too quickly uh, almost definitely Mm -hmm. see you see it beats all the time with people trying to go a little bit too heavy earlier on and Um, yeah better leaving more i would say i would argue and it was um i don't know i'm name dropping a lot of people here but um taylor atwood who just won Mm -hmm. the um US yeah. Royal Nationals yeah. and I think you told 838 kilos I think it was a 74 Same. lifter yeah. which is which is insane um, <laughs> but he was basically like a meet is about showing your strength it's not necessarily about testing your strength now that kind of is against some you know some people would always say you should always do your best lifts on mm. the platform um, but it was that idea that well I, I know what's in there I know what's in the locker so I'm going to yeah you know, I know if I need to, I need to stretch it, I'm going to stretch it. But actually, I'd rather go nine for nine, and, and that's going to get me the best total, as opposed to try to push a squat maybe 10, mm. 10 kilos or five kilos more than it needs to be. Yeah, and missing it. Um, at the end of the day, it sounds like a yeah, that's a bit of a change. That you, you know, you start off um, as a as a part in the powerlifting, and it's very much about numbers and records, and that's what you're thinking. And as you evolve in the sport you're thinking as like more like a mature athlete mature lifter is to how do i get nine for nine here and like you were putting it there like what i have in the locker and that kind of idea i mean do you when you go into a competition is there any point that uh, or do you look at things like utilizing um adrenaline on the day and utilizing just competition atmosphere in terms of trying to hit higher numbers or do you would you sort of more tend to go on i know what i'm capable of but I don't need to necessarily go there. Or um, what does it look like? I'd say probably the latter. I mean, obviously there's two two extremes of, of lifting, I suppose, in terms of the hype mm. lifter and the and the not so hype lifter. I would definitely put myself in the non hype lifter. Um mm. I just I just like to get myself to a place where I know like ultimately if um you know when I went to the last worlds in Germany is probably a good example, I, I competed against Karen Warnby. And my opening squat was two hundred. His opening squat was two forty. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do anything about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I need, I like to focus on what I can do. I'm not saying that at the time, 
you know, if it feels good, I maybe push it maybe a wee bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say in, in, my, in my own reflection, anytime I've tried to do that, I've missed the lift. Yeah. So if, mm-hmm. I, if I can, you know, I'd say as a person, I'm fairly pragmatic and methodical. Um, I suppose that's probably two characteristics people would say in mean, my work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can stick to that, kind of not not rigidly to the plan that I've got, but certainly, you know, like I'm saying, I'm thinking 225, but, you know, I might go 227 if it feels yeah feels okay. Um, but I'd much rather hit 225 solidly than, than risk a 227 and, 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 and miss it, I suppose, is, is kind of my approach. Um, and But again... I'm saying that, and I'm going into a competition tomorrow. That really, I'm not saying it's meaningless, but it's not. A, you know, it's not a British Championship. It's not a, a World Championship event. So that would obviously maybe change the dynamics slightly, depending yeah, on. Yeah, sure. Um, but really, that would only matter probably in the deadlift. I would imagine, um, and, I, and I'm co- and I'd be comfortable in that environment because that's my strongest lift. So mm. if I had to push the deadlift a bit more, I'd be I'd be more willing to take that risk, I suppose, um, than maybe on yeah. on squat or bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think trying to get, uh, I think attempt selection, you were saying earlier on about how, uh, handling or helping out with people is quite, is, is underrated in terms of the mental and emotional input you have to give mm. to say a lift doesn't go too well. Then a lifter comes back to you, like, especially a new lifter and they're like, what do we do now? And they're, they're really concerned about the next lift, and it's kind of trying to put the next we, attempt um, in and, and. Calm so down a little bit. One of the questions you asked was about my, my greatest moment in powerlifting or my best moment. It wasn't even me competing. It was um, when, it was in Germany when um, actually one of the other lifters, Jane Clark, and I, I used to teach her at school as well um, many, many years ago now. Um, but she had the opportunity of going into the deadlift to, to win um, our category. And um, I had to do a bit of movement with the, the third deadlift. And, you know, and she was like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, look, just, just you, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on in the bar. And you just need to pick it up. You know, you just need to worry about the picking up part. Um, I'll worry about the movement. And, you know, for, fortunately or unfortunately, the way I did it, the Swiss girl missed her lift. And I was able to bring Jane's, um, Jane's deadlift down by seven and a half kilo. I mean, I put in, I'd put in that she was going to lift the world record. Now, had, they, had their coach known the numbers he would have known that that was a world record and that was you know in my view probably out of reach and you know I've said that to Jane that I think you could have lifted I think it was 177.5 possibly with the, you know as he said even with the adrenaline of the day and, and the you know the, the the event that it was um, but I was able to bring it back down and, and she lifted the weight and she she became world champion which yes. you know as a sort of and I'm probably jumping forward with you, but as a sort of story about why I created Paisley Barbell Club, that's that's the story. I mean, she did the her mock competition in February. She did the Scottish competition in May, which she did well in. She then won the British in her category and she won the Worlds in her category. And to me, that's just a... To have played a bigger or a small part in that is, is to me, is, is just amazing, an amazing thing to have done. And she, mm-hmm. and yeah, she loved it. Yeah, definitely. It's a bit of a fairy tale story for that. As it sounds like a kind of made up story, but that's yeah. that's exactly how it worked. It was, um, and I even remember. I, I was even second guessing myself. So I'm at that event, and um, Craig Spicer was there, who's a kind of quite a very, very, very knowledgeable uh, coach, and um, I think he's the coach and secretary for the BDFPA. So he was there with a couple of lifters. So 
And, and to be fair to him, he's trying to sort out his own athletes. And I said, look, can I just ask you one question? If 10 seconds of your time, I'm going to do this. And, I, you know, because I'm thinking, right, if I get this wrong, <laughs> this, is, this is going to, you know, come back yeah. to come yeah. back and haunt me. And I just, you know, um, look, I'm going to do this and this. Is that right? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, and, you know, subsequently after that event, we've actually become um, good friends as well. Um, but, yeah, you, you kind of second guess yourself, you know, a wee bit. Um, mm. But yeah, it was it was a great great moment. I think you know, in terms of like actual, you know, apart from obviously winning some things myself. By the time it's sort of just ah okay, I'll move on and when's the next one. But that to see that you know Jane achieve that was was something quite special. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I get that when when you put in someone's attempt, you know you know it's a PB, and obviously they know it's a PB, and then they um, they absolutely smash it. It's amazing. It's almost like you're vicariously living through their success as a coach. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's so cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, vicariously yeah. living to your house. Basically, yeah. I mean, yeah. Essentially, yeah. It's a wild experience. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, like you touched on the Paisley Barbell Club there, um, and saying about one of the aspects of why you started that was to was to help people get into the sport. Um, do you, I mean, what, what do you see as some of the like, some of the barriers to, to people getting into powerlifting or hearing about it or anything like that? Um, well, I think first of all, I think it's changed a lot. You know, I think we'd all agree. You know, when we first started, um, it, it was it's like a, a closed, very close knit group in itself, um, mm. not very well publicised out with. Out with its own own group, I think social media has played a huge part, and and yeah, an explosion, I suppose, would be the right the right phrase. I mean, you know, it really has evolved very very quickly over a over a period of time that I was doing it. I mean, when I started in that push pool, I think there was it was quite a busy one. I think it was maybe forty lifters there, but there was maybe eight or ten eight or ten females mm-hmm. in the event, um, and I think that's really one thing that has really changed is this. Or the notion that females can't do strength sports um, or shouldn't do strength sports probably is the right the right idea, um, you know. Because even last year the British or the BDFPA uh, nationals women, and it sounds really patronising when I say it, but women would have their own event. Why they wouldn't have their own event in the first place, you know, is is up for discussion. But they, they had grown to such an extent, um, numbers wise, that um, that was the case. I think cost. For me, cost is a, is a real barrier. And again, going back to, to why I, I created the club, um, that was one of the main drivers. Um, you know, I was talking to folk about entering competitions and then they're like, oh, how do you do it? And I would say, right, well, this, this, this and this. By the time you actually break that down and add it up, you're, you're over £100. And that's just for a BDFPA one. That's, that's you know, if you're going to do Scottish powerlifting, obviously you need to wear the um, approved apparel, um, which can cost significantly more. Um, so... One of the things that we do at Paisley Barbell is that when you become a member, you you get you get access to the, the gym for the club sessions, um, but we pay your we pay your affiliation and we pay your competition entry fee. Now initially I'd said that we'd only pay the first one as a sort of get people in the door, um, but as the club's grown um, and you know we've been able to get some grants and some funding, that so far no no member in three years has paid for a competition entry. Wow. Um, I didn't know that, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I didn't know that either. That's class. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think, if you do a, if you were to do the, um, the PDFPA one there, 
Uh, your time your affiliation as a club member is a bit cheaper. Your competition there, your British and your Worlds, you're talking nearly uh, £200. Um, mm. So for what you pay for a monthly fee um, over the course of the year, you're more than getting um, value value for money. Um, I think one of the things is like, we need to work together. You mm. know, I think it's the same, it's a, it's a Scottish mentality, I think, <laughs> in a lot of sports that we, we're very insular. Mm-hmm. And we're very focused on our own little little pocket. We don't mm-hmm. we don't cross over. We don't. I mean, again, the fact that there is, and again, I'm not sure of the the rationale, the reasonings why there is two federations, but they don't really cross over either. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, and I, and I'm I'm not meaning in terms of um, like I think there is absolutely a place for two separate organisations and both amateur and both drug tested and, and whatnot. But in terms of development of the sport, you know, if you look at the models of, of how you would develop a club or a sport, there needs to be working together. There needs to be, I mean, is mm-hmm. there scope for a development officer? I don't know, but there, there must be. Um, you know, we're not even recognised at the moment. Powerlifting is, in the eyes of Sports Scotland, isn't a sport. It's a physical activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly know that British powerlifting are trying to become affiliated with Sport England as a, as a govern as a sport governing body as opposed to a physical activity but even with even as a physical activity and like I said about the grants and stuff you can still access funding to to um, to grow um, and again one of the things with the club was this idea of bringing people together so we've mm-hmm. been to competitions and I mean I don't know the big thing that I wanted to do was take a group of people to an event um, and the first one we really went to as a group, we had eight, I think. We had three at the two, sorry, two at the UK Masters on the Saturday, and I think we had six on the Sunday at the Scottish. And you know, we've all got the we've all got the t-shirt. But to me, that just looks looks great. You know, mm-hmm. you're a group of people, you're together, you're supporting each other. Um, I mean, I think maybe could it look a wee bit intimidating? I'm not sure. Um, but to me, it was about the ethos, a team ethos, bringing that team ethos that I'd really enjoyed at hockey and found success at hockey mm-hmm. um, to, to an individual sport, essentially. Um, and I suppose part of it as well was the fact that I was a goalie. So to me, that is a bit like powerlifting. So You're an individual on the I'm team. I'm an individual on a team, yeah. <laughs> but I need the team to be successful. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, I need that support mechanism um, to allow me to, to do what I need to do. Um but over the course of the competitions, I mean, the competition there, I think we had 14 competing. We've had 18 competing before. Oh, and it's nice. just growing. It's growing and growing. Um, you know, we run the, we've run a few workshops. We run the, the one that I think has really had the biggest success is the kind of club competition. So we try mm. and run that as close. We do run it as close to the a BDFPA competition as we can. Um, you know, we still ask people to, to weigh in. We don't, we, don't have, we don't necessarily have weight categories. Um, to an extent we're not saying you have to be a certain weight but we want you to go through the process of knowing that when you turn up you're going to have to weigh in yeah and you know anybody that that signs up for it i'm I'm emailing them saying look i'm not asking you to cut weight that's not that's not the point here it's that you understand the process of when you turn up you'll have to weigh in Um, you know it basically is a bdfba competition in terms of how it runs and we have we have refs but we have club members at ref Um, Mm -hmm. We will be, we, a lot of them will be doing the, the refs course in August. Um, but again, that's to, that's that's a key part of growing the sport. You need more refs. 
Yeah. You, you need people to know how to do the, the desk. You need spotters mm-hmm. and loaders. Um, yep. And it's it's just, I think, um, I suppose modernising it maybe is the right the right Definitely. way. Um, and that's not to take anything away from the people that are, you know, the people that are running both BDFP Scotland and Scottish Powerlifting, I think do a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're volunteers, they've got they've got full-time jobs. Um but I think just for a wee bit of creative thinking, I think maybe um, you know, Scottish Powerlifting's obviously doing the they're doing the YouTube stream tomorrow, which is which is pretty good and it's different and hopefully it's a good production. I mean, we did the we did our comp there on, on Instagram Live purely because yeah we didn't have the capability of doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in terms of, again, growing the sport and making it more popular, we need to look at other other weightlifting or weight-based sports like weightlifting and strongman and look at look at how they've marketed and, and promoted themselves. Yeah. Um, and I just think there's so much potential. You know, I, what I see in powerlifting is, you know, we're really at the tip of the iceberg, I think. You know, there's so much potential in the sport to grow on so many levels, um, both at a grassroots level and at a and a and a elite level, um, and maybe we're just a wee bit of joined up thinking that, that we can get there. That's um yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's quite unique in the fact of it's incredibly accessible. Like you can turn up and lift and compete, you know, without having put a lot of time in, and then you can put the time in if you want to get somewhere, and it's very accessible for people of different um, different stages. And there just seems to be an aspect where, as you say, collaboration is massive. Like if you want something to grow and grow in a healthy way, collaboration is huge. When people become insular and segregated, that it, it harms things overall. And what, my first experience ever in powerlifting that shocked me was how much camaraderie there was. And with that, I was like, this is amazing. I was like, I turned up expecting to be like grunting and no one speaking to each other. And everyone's like, and that was my favorite part. I could go out and just like PB, have a great competition. And then afterwards, people were, were, were good cracking and chatting to each other um, and support one another. And I think that's a, a massive aspect. And the, the bit yeah. you're trying to do with having like a team, but also individuals is is, is huge, actually. Um, that part I of I think like the thing for me together. what I've realized also is that um, I'm not saying they've necessarily copied it, but more clubs have are, are, are started. Mm. So I mean, Chris Beatham started his own club, um, Dodge Dodge City Strength. Um, Candy's got a club, Achieve uh, Fitness, and um, there's a club in Loch Gelly with Paul Paul Walker. Now I've never met Paul Walker mm. in my life, and I mean, all I've interacted with him is in social media. But we actually created a a little group on uh, on Facebook just mm. to share share information. So we were we were fortunate enough to find out about a grant from Arnold Clark. Um, you could access a thousand pounds from Arnold Clark, the car company. Yeah, so they were doing nice. a, a funding thing where they used to do bigger grants, but after COVID, obviously, they were getting a lot of um, lot of requests. So they said, "Look, we'll, we'll do." Um, they were going to do like a monthly draw, and so many uh, community groups per month were going to get a thousand pounds. So we managed to get it through the the hockey club that I'm a member of. As I said, um, so I applied for Paisley Barbell, and we were successful. Um, and Chris, Karen, and Paul all applied for it and were successful in getting a thousand pound to to grow their club. Um, and oh. to me, that's the kind of next level. It's mm-hmm. it's that it's that collaboration. It's right. Okay, how do how do we work together to to definitely grow the sport? Um, and as I say, I've never. I hopefully meet him soon, Paul Walker. Um, but I've never, never actually met him in person. <laughs> Not liking <laughs> um, him in real life. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, this is but, a real problem. You know, just, yeah, um, but he's actually so he's started that. But 
he's got a project going um, for tying him in mental health. Oh, really? Um, so it's that yes. sort of, you know, to me, it's that sort of, that's why I think there's so much potential because there's so much potential for it to grow as, as an elite sport, mm-hmm. you know, whether it is a governing body or uh, I believe it's about to be, um, it's also about to be ratified as a buck sport for universities, which I think will be oh, really nice. Good. Yeah. Um, but at the, at the very, very bottom level, you know, strength sports is a mechanism for, for personal development. Mm. You know, um, mm-hmm. even from a school level, we are, um, we've got a, a, a nurture base within the school, and it's one of the things that was that was asked to me. Look, do you know any local facilities that we could we could tap into that we can get three or four boys out, you know, every day, just using strength training as a way to to increase their self confidence, their self worth, self esteem, um, mm. allowing them to set goals. Um, yeah, I just think there's so much so much out there that we can, as a as a as a sport, can really can really tap into and allow us to to really grow organically at, at, at both sides um, and I think again social media is just like a huge part to play I mean I, I personally and I have my view on social media being positive or negative but yeah I've never I've very I've done very little advertising for the powerlifting club nice it's just I mean I'm fairly consistent with posts uh, in social mm-hmm. media and, and somebody sees somebody that represents themselves if you like competing and they go well actually I could I could do that mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then invariably you'll get a message saying, "Oh, I'm really interested. How do I get started?" So I get started, and they'll come in with the attitude normally of, nah, "I don't think I really want to compete." Um, but the time. they'll compete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but mainly, but as I say, that and again, that's why we introduced that sort of the, the club competition as a sort of entry level. Um, mm. You know, yeah, yeah. and it, awesome. and it's done in it's done in um, in, in our gym. So mm. even before we moved, we did it in pro life, and it was well. This is where you train anyway. I mean, you're really just doing a training session in front yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. Like just ignore them. You just ignore them anyway when you're at training. So just just ignore the people that are happen to be happen to be watching you. And again, it's also that thing where at a powerlifting competition, one of the things that people when you talk about barriers, they they feel self conscious about doing the lift in front of people. Mm. But generally, actually. There's about twenty people actually watching you. Mm. The other, the other people are getting warmed up for the next lift. The rest, them eating. <laughs> the rest of them are outside. Um, other, you know, in terms of who, how many are actually watching you in the room at the time? They're probably talking a maximum of twenty people. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's where we're at. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sounds amazing. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think I think. There's, there's definitely not too many lifters who seem to cross over between the two federations, which is um, like, I, I know Dean Robertson does that a lot. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm not sure exactly why that is, but I think if, I think more people like yourself are doing it, he perception. does it. I, I mean, just from what I've heard, I mean, I, I don't know this. I, I mean, yeah. I think there's a kind of perception. Um, and, I, I, and I would like to sort of, I, I'm not saying I want to break down a barrier, but I mean, that's very mm. cliched, but um, yeah, I don't see why there can't be a kind of, well, they coexist as it is, but mm. again, if we want, we're, all, we're doing it for the same reason, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like I go sometimes, you know, I'm part of the club is part of a community sports hub as well. So you're having the same discussion. We're all we're all we're all here for the same reason, which is to get more people at the fundamental level, more people into sport. Mm-hmm. So yep. why are we why are we not working together? Yeah, yeah. Why are we not looking and saying, right, how how did they how did they get that many people over there? Well, they, they did that, right? Okay, well, how did they do that? Um, like I think um, Scottish powerlifting have quite a kind of they use incentives for the volunteers or the, or the referees and stuff um, you know there's a simple one there 
um, you know, just, yeah, I think there's different ways you can be creative and, and support people to, to be involved in the sport. Because again, a competition cannot run just with lifters. Yeah. You know, you need to find ways to incentivize people. And it's the same in all sports. Nobody wants to be a referee. When they, you know, nobody grows up wanting to be a referee. You know, but it's pretty, <laughs> There'd but, be but one outlier somewhere listening to this, Mark, going, I, 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 I did. But I know, <laughs> but I know people that were, you know, that were involved in hockey that, that played for a bit. And I've, I've, I've umpired Olympic Games. They've been, yeah. you know, multiple Olympic Games um, and are yeah. very good umpires. Um, same way, you know, there's, there's the football referees that are going to mm. World Cups and European Championships. So there's lots of opportunities. Mm. Um, and sporting in London's pretty cool as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being that close to someone lifting a ridiculous amount of weight is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. like, whoa. Yeah, they hope they lift yeah. it because you don't want to have to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Completely>. <laughs> That's so true. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the more we can do that, the better. I, th- I thought the, your chat about the personal improvement, I think powerlifting is one of the one of those rarest sports where it's so direct, your effort and your consistency mm. with your training is so direct to the result you get. And so many other sports, that's just you just don't have as much control. Mm. And you can like through that you can get so much more empowerment because you're just like, I know that if I do this, this will happen, or the chances are so much higher than yeah, say, a hockey idea game. Of- like again, it was something that I think I was listening to. It, I was reading it recently, but it's that correlation between your training and your performance. Yeah, because yeah. you're doing the same thing. Whereas you know, thinking back to hockey or rugby or or, or a, a dynamic team sport, you know, you can only do what you can do, but your performance is completely dependent upon so many variables. Yeah. Um. You know, and, yeah. and yes, there are variables in powerlifting, and probably again, the ones that are the most successful are the ones that control as many variables as they can. I mean, there's still obviously things that you can't control, um, mm. but if you can control as many of those variables that's within your power to do so, I mean, like again, it's like, you know, for me turning up tomorrow, if I miss weight, or that there's only one person to blame for that. I'm mm. not, if I don't have enough food, if I, you know, I'm not hydrated, that's not someone else's fault. Yeah. Um, and see, even, you know, even like, going to the sort of more technical of the execution of the lifts, you know, if I don't make the squat, um, you know, if I get two reds and a white, well, it's still my fault mm. because I've I've given the the, the ref a, a reason to to doubt that my squat is of the right um, depth. So, you know, I know that people yeah. would argue. I guess make bad calls. You're blind. <laughs> yeah, make bad calls. But ultimately, <laughs> my argument would be you've got to make you you don't want to make you don't want to make the referee make a decision. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. With the uh, go, kind of going back to like the stuff that you do, your training and things like that, can you give us an idea just um, what your training looks like at the minute? Like what your setup is, like what you how you tend to manage your recovery and things like that. Just just out of interest with where you're at and what like yeah, a, a breakdown yeah. of it is. Um, I mean, it's probably pretty boring, but um, I like that. If I'm being honest, the monotony of 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 powerlifting training. Um, but I prioritize squat one day, deadlift. So day one would be squat, day three is deadlift, and then bench is day two and day four. And the second bench day is maybe a kind of variation, maybe a close grip or a, or a Larson uh, press normally. Um, and then out with that, you know, just kind of accessories to, to support, um, I suppose, muscular development as well as, you know, the, the movement pattern. Um, it has evolved, as I said, you know, obviously I mentioned the kind of six by six, that I started with Craig, but even before that, when I was kind of doing my own program, if you like, um, 
part of one of the deadlift events. I remember deadlifting three times a week, which when I think back now, I just yeah. couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't have done that, um, mm. you know, but at the time I was going to the World Deadlift Championship, so I thought, right, <laughs> I'm going to have to deadlift some more. Yeah, I'm, I'm not interested in squatting. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's taking so long Deadlift yeah. more. Yeah. That's why the squat's taking so long to catch up. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so like, yeah, I think definitely, you know, changed. I'd say in terms of, I think the big thing about the, the split that we've evolved to is is recovery. Like I said mm. about the, the squat and the deadlift, I need a certain amount of time between yeah. um, between those two lifts um, to recover. Um, I tend to train Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Um, that's kind of my, my week. As how I structure it, but um, so if I train, I do squat on the Sunday and deadlift on the Thursday. That tends to tends to be okay, even if I was to do maybe even like squat on a, a Sunday and deadlift on a Tuesday. I still think that would cause yeah interference interference. Yeah. Which which but but in saying that, up until maybe certainly last year, I was I was doing that. Um, mm. But yeah, I definitely like us going back to what I said about feeling most prepared. That to me, that's one of the reasons I do feel this way is that we have adjusted, um, and that's credit to, to to Craig as a coach as well. Because I, you know, I certainly know a lot of coaches from talking to other people. It's kind of a wee bit of my way or the highway type yeah. thing. I'm the coach, and I know what I'm doing. Um, and I, you know, like when I when I decided to get a coach, a lot of people were like, "Well, why are you getting a coach? You've, you've just won the world championship." And okay, it was in, people would argue it's in. WDFPF, as I say, some people might not think that's a credible organisation, but um, you know, in the eyes of of the lay person, I'd won mm. the world championship. Why are you getting a coach? Um, but it was it was to I still feel that you know I can get better. Um, mm-hmm. I still feel that there's areas that I can improve in terms of recovery and nutrition. Um, but the other point was that I was willing to to hand it over and say right. Like I said about the six by six at the time, I I, I thought that was horrific. But mm. at that point, I had said to Craig, you know, for these twelve weeks, whatever you write down, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did <laughs> it. <laughs> and I, no, but I did it. But I only did it yeah. because that would allow me to make the statement that that doesn't work for me. Completely, um, I understand that. You know, like yeah. you know, people very quickly, two or three weeks would be like, "Oh, this is rubbish. I'm, I'm not doing it." Well, how do you know? Like you haven't seen the yeah, you haven't, haven't given the, the bash. You haven't seen the, the yeah. payoff. Um, and my lifts, you know, to be fair, my lifts did improve um, to an extent, but there was definitely a few sessions that I was finishing being like, right, this this is not fun anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I, had to, I had to just adjust a little bit. And I think, you know, whether I think I am or not, I'm 40 years old. <laughs> so naturally, you know, things are, are more challenging. Like even at work, I can remember having, even a couple of years ago, I used to join in with the, the higher class football. Mm. Yeah, okay playing goals but I was still joining in um, right. or you know like I was setting your class at athletics so I would quite happily run a 200 metres without really needing to warm up I couldn't mm. I wouldn't even think about that now really okay. I just you know I just think that, that would be <laughs> that would be insane yeah. <laughs> I might play the odd game of football occasionally but but I definitely I'd probably feel it more than I, than I, than I would have in previous years I think maybe that's just old age but 
Do you think that is a, a part of an age the aging process, or is this is, is there more to that? I mean, I mean, is it also the fact that the conversation we had at the start about COVID and stress that's going on at the minute? Yeah, also I think the intensity. I think also just lifting. that my training is just so specific. Yeah, completely. I don't do you know like I've I've got a friend uh, Ian Allen who's kind of been powerlifting. He's done a he wanted to do bodybuilding for a bit. He's kind of switching, but he's doing a kind of if you like to call it functional program just now. Right. Where you know he's want to be wants to be reasonably strong, wants to be able to run five k. Yeah, I'll be honest, yeah. I've got no interest in running five k. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't support the goal that I want to get to. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've got specific goals that I want to hit in the next couple of years, mm-hmm. ideally. Um, and does me being able to run support that goal? No, it doesn't. So completely. And and again, I'm sure that's a a whole other discussion about um, hybrid training or, you know, how, I mean, again, Dean Robertson's another example. He's been doing a lot of sort of CrossFit style, I've noticed, workouts uh, recently, but still maintaining a reasonable level of strength. Um, And I know Dean McVie's been needling me for years to try and get me to do strongman. But um, at the moment, I just want to do one-dimensional lifts, which... (laughs) It's just squat, bench, and deadlift. Anything that involves movement is um, not in my radar at the moment. I uh, I think there's a certain level of uh, I don't want to call it skill or something to be able to do that and stick with that. I I do find that um, people will come across um, outside of powerlifting, more general pop who are more athletically minded. They kind of struggle to stay with one thing, to be honest, and they do kind of jump around a lot. And um, it is that aspect of sometimes chasing a feeling or chasing this or that and the ability to keep the goal the goal and stay yeah. there on something is is tough and um be able to say that doesn't support my goal i'm not going to do that and then stick with that i actually think some people enjoy it and some people kind of struggle not to just keep yeah the goal I've always, the goal. like i said i've always been fairly pragmatic and methodical and yeah certainly going back to the last kind of world i did i did a lot of reflection on on needing to switch federation to, to be able to to compete to the level that I wanted to compete to. But COVID sort of also just gave me that time to, okay, what how long are you going to power lift for? Mm. Realistically. And and what is it you what is it you still want to achieve? Um, yeah. and as I say, I've I've kind of set myself very, very specific goals. Um and I've set myself a sort of re what I think is a realistic time frame to achieve them. Um so if something's not going to benefit that goal then then why would I do it? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah. Does um a lot of that uh right how much do you take mindset wise and things like this from your years with at hockey? Um does much of that carry over in terms of yeah, your no, I'd say more so now. More so now. Um you know again thinking back to like we said about the hockey, you know, you you played your part in a, in mm. a in a bigger group. Um, and it was actually probably um, it was in that time we were involved with the Scotland squad that uh, the coach at the time was uh, he was actually a GB Olympian from 1988 Russell Garcia he won the gold medal um, but he introduced me to Carol Dweck's stuff about mindset and, and that's kind of um, the timeline of that coming out it kind of evolved at the same time it was coming into education quite a lot Um but even going back to when I'm teaching the kids, like talking about a pre pre performance routine, you know, I have a particular song I listen to. Mm. Not even just a, but even between my attempts, I have three songs. 
and they go from right. very, very low to slightly higher. You know, I have a very specific, if you watch any of my videos, I have a very specific pre-lift routine on each uh, lift. And I'm just trying to get myself to that area of, of calm, I suppose. There's, mm. there's visualization in there. There's positive self-talk mm -hmm. internally, but um, it's all there. You know, it's, 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 it's all there. It's just maybe not, not necessarily well, I'm telling people now and, and I've spoke to people about it at the club and stuff about, you know, again, one of the guys who was uh, loading at the BDFP comp hadn't really seen me lift before. And again, the, the phrase he used was methodical. Now that mm. to me means that I'm, I'm displaying a repeatable process each time I, I approach the bar. And again, going back to the idea of controlling controllables, to me, that's, in my view, that's the best way to control the controllables. If you have a repeatable process that regardless of, you know, like if you rely on someone slapping your back, something as simple as that, like if you, if you, uh, if that person's not there, yeah, yeah. How That's do you know you're going to get the same level of slap? You know, or... <laughs> I have a story about this. We could tell you, like COVID, <laughs> COVID. Because of COVID, I've learned to self unrack yeah. uh, on the bench. So again, I remember going to competitions and getting an unrack and literally getting thrown into my chest. Mm. So I've lost all tightness before I've even started the movement. Whereas you know, I can self unrack 150 kilo. Yeah. Um, and 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 confidently do it, um, and know that I can and execute that lift. Um, mm. So yeah, little, little things like that to me. Although I say little things to me, that makes the difference. And again, when it comes to me executing that lift, if I go through that process that I've gone through, I don't know how many times I've squatted, but it's just another. It's just another squat. It's not necessarily a squat in competition with an environment that's around me. Um, it's just a squat or a bench yeah. or a deadlift. Repeating the process, yep. basically the same. Are you, do you now? Um, are you self-loading when it comes to benching? And previously, were you were you not? Is that yeah, self-load. No, I didn't used to. I didn't used to. And to me, that's been a big, big change, and one that I didn't. It's been a, a change. It's obviously been forced to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, but I wish I'd done it sooner because right. I definitely feel a difference in terms of maintaining the position better um, right. and the consistency of of my unload as opposed to. Someone uh, letting someone else dictate that one. Yeah. One of those benefits. <laughs> one of those. One of those benefits to to COVID. You know, you get you yeah, some stuff yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. There's been many, but there's been a few. See, uh, I've said this before, but you just you remind you reminded me of um, like the the slap part. So I tend to lift. Uh, I like to be calm and then get hyped up right beforehand. And I had a certain person that would always be the 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 guy that would whack me basically in the back of the head. And I, I got two other people at one point. I asked a friend another time because I could, didn't have the same one who cracked me across the face and nearly knocked me out like I basically <laughs> just saw stars and then uh, the other one was do you remember um, Willie Lincoln yep yep we were competing in, in Belfast and it was beforehand he was he was coaching and I was like I need someone to, to, to crack me basically before I go on stage and he seemed like he enjoyed it and he <laughs> went for it and we're walking onto the platform going like Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 I've never <laughs> I've never been that kind of hype person, but I just don't. Mm. Again, I know people use it to to great effect. I've seen, you know, I've seen it um, in in competition as well. But it just doesn't doesn't it doesn't fit with my personality, I suppose. Mm. Um, you know, um, but 
even, and even even smelling salts would I've used them once and I couldn't see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's some yeah. interesting. Oh, it, uh, it, I think it's quite. I think that stuff's quite interesting, right? Like, um, I would, I would wonder. I mean, being quite methodical and calm. I mean, you see it an awful lot as well in weightlifting. Your ability to execute then is is probably considerably smoother. And I would say, if I really dwelt like pin down why I like the hype beforehand, it's probably to eradicate all noise mm. and basically just intently focus. It's almost like a different way to do it, you know, versus getting yourself into the mindset, visualizing, getting yourself calm and executing yeah, the lift. I think, mind place, would be, I think there's absolutely a place for both, isn't there? Mm, yeah. It's very interesting. Um, I think maybe the hype part as well, there's there's more potential for it to go haywire, you know, if you just <laughs> see like a grip and rip it, yeah. you're like, miss that lift entirely. Yeah, completely, yeah. <laughs> Way completely. off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watch my good friend Dean McVie. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. He has the definition wild. of hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> he loves yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it on any social media platform or give us a rating on our on your own podcast app. Um, that way, basically, more people can find us and we want to try and help as many uh, powerlifters and bodybuilders as we can. Um, we'd love to know what you think of, the, of this episode or any other episodes that we do have. So please feel free to contact us on social media. Any feedback is welcomed. And also find uh, find more information about us at www.gtg-performance.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and you will hear from us next week. 